Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross. Um, <clears throat> guys, I gotta get something off my chest. <sighs> Alright, so back in 2003, um, I basically cheated myself into Florida State. As many of you know, Florida State, home of the Seminoles, a totally non-racist name. Uh, located in Tallahassee, Florida, which if you uh, if you ever go to Tallahassee, you'll you'll figure it out just by the T-shirts of the locals. It is a drinking town with a football problem. Uh, truly, one of our premier academic institutions, a crown jewel of pedagogy, and a place that, frankly, I only got into because my parents paid the school half a million dollars and sold me as one of, the, uh, one of Florida's finest cross-country runners. And it was a believable story, mainly because at the time, and to this day, uh, I am a pale waif. So when I heard about the Aunt Becky from Full House uh, story of her paying a very large sum of money to get her daughter into USC on a cruise scholarship. I said cruise scholarship, not cruise scholarship. I got it. You know, it made sense to me. And frankly, I felt guilty. And that's why I plan to give back my creative writing and political science degrees to the Florida State University. And during the March Madness college basketball tournament which which Florida State will be playing in every time FSU plays I will be donning a shirt that reads on the front Florida State criminals and on the back just like a basketball jersey instead of my last name it'll say uh, at the top instead of cross it'll say inmate and underneath it the number 69 that's my favorite number so by the way uh just going back real quick uh to Lori Laughlin, uh, I want to read a paragraph from the Daily Beast. Uh, it was a quick write-up about Aunt Becky, and it is um, <clears throat> amazing. Here we go. Quote. Quote. This isn't the first time Laughlin has forgotten... <sighs> Damn it, I did it again. I forgot how to read. Here we go. This isn't the first time Laughlin has gotten involved in a school-related scam. In season six of the hit ABC series Full House, Laughlin's applications to get their twin sons into a high-end preschool called Booten Hall, according to Us Weekly, which, by the way, love Us Weekly. It is, that is where I get my latest Colton news, just FYI. According to Us Weekly, in order to give their kids on an edge... Stamos, oh, John Stamos, you know, John Stamos, tells the preschool administrators that their two-year-old sons, Nikki and Alex, can speak multiple languages and play the bassoon. I don't know what the fuck the bassoon is. Here we go. But life doesn't always imitate art, because the episode, quote, Be True to Your Preschool, ends with Laughlin deciding the boys don't need to put, be put on a, quote, fast track. Whatever, fa whatever track they're on, Becky says in the show, they seem to be doing okay. That's right, folks. Life does not always imitate art. And Full House, 
totally a work of art. Be true to your preschool. That doesn't even rhyme. Now, in fairness, I don't know what hit show Paul Manafort was on when he was committing multiple counts of fraud involving oligarchs and countries that uh, we hate and being in debt to those oligarchs while working on the campaign chair, working as the campaign chair for Donald Trump for free. I'm guessing that maybe, maybe it was The Apprentice. That would make some sense. But it occurred to me that Mr. Manafort and Aunt Becky aren't all that different. I mean, I'm pretty sure both of them did skincare product infomercials at some point in their careers. But more importantly, it dawned on me, which was something that Austin Frederick and I talked about last week. Money and opportunities and power are a very divisive thing in this country. Austin and I talked about monopolies and and specifically monopolies in the food industry, uh, like how four companies control 50%, of the slaughterhouse meat that we eat. I don't eat it. I'm a pescatarian. I know. I'm so much better than you. Um, I'm kidding. I'm not. Just that's that's what pescatarians say sometimes. And vegetarians and vegans and people who are gluten free but not really needing to be gluten free. By the way, two of those countries foreign owned. I mean, I was at Whole Foods this week, uh, getting my pre made pizza as I do. And they asked me if I was a Prime Card member, if I had a Prime Card. And I said, no. I have 11 business cards from people I can't remember meeting. And I have a a Panera coupon and an Arby's coupon and actually two Arby's coupons. But I don't have a Prime card. And then I asked a cashier what a Prime card could do for me uh, as far as discounts goes. And she, she named off all the discounts. And all of a sudden, my conversation with Austin came back to me. Because all of a sudden, I was thinking about about monopolies. And how this guy, Jeff Bezos, a man who started out selling books online, and imagine who was was also back then uh, very proud of his penis, is now impacting the price that I pay for my yuppie version of DiGiorno. And then when I'm on my ride home, this was the the last thing. I'm talking with my girlfriend, who's a third year law student. She's very uh, much smarter than I am. She works with prisoners, and she was telling me about uh, hearing from a group of prisoner uh, activists who they are. They're basically they're prisoner lawyers. They're prison lawyers um, who work in conjunction with with actual like lawyers who um, to to try to represent those who who need representation uh, in prison. And one of the comments she made was how why they were arrested and charged and put away in the first place was because of how they grew up, their childhoods. Whether it was being in an abusive family or uh, being in a poor community or, or being in, you know, around gangs or all of that. And on the flip side, how being in prison and, and the actual opportunity of getting being able to get a community college-level education while in prison changed their complete outlook on life. 
It changed the educate like their that education gave them hope. It gave them opportunity without all the negative distractions they grew up with, like gangs and, and abusive families. You know, one of the guys said, you know, it, it changed his view of, of race in some ways. And in his outlook on, on where other people come from. And he grew up in a in a household that, that was was racist. And it showed them that they too were smart. It gave them confidence. And I think with, you know, I just read something from uh, Paul Ryan, which never, ever do that to yourself. Never read anything from Paul Ryan. He talked about how the Democrats are too far to the left and Donald Trump's policies, yada, I don't care. He lied about his marathon time, guys. That's all you need to know. Paul Ryan lied about his marathon time by like two hours. The point is, is, you know, there are a lot of candidates out there and Republicans are going to say, we're, you know, these Democrats are too far to the left and their socialist policies. And fuck that. Listen, have empathy and vote with empathy and vote for candidates on the local and the national levels that you believe uh, are going to help all of us from the bottom up. We all need opportunities. One of the cool things I did this week was I interviewed Representative Emily Sirota from Colorado. Uh, she's a co-sponsor of a bill uh, to, to get the popular vote to become uh, a, a nationwide uh, thing so that when, you know, we, we work on a weird electoral college system, she explains that, she goes over that, and, and you know, from a very, you know, I, I didn't know, it, you know, I don't pay attention to Colorado politics too much, but I do know that this has had, this has national ramifications, it's been getting national news, and it's a good story, because it's about everybody in every state, and, and realizing that your vote does matter, and right now, the way the system's set up, you know, when it comes to a primary, when it comes to a general election, like, I live in California. Like, we know every time it's going to be a Democrat. I mean, literally, I'm just sitting there focused on, like, what's the next weed legislation that we're going to try to pass, you know? Our porn star is going to have to wear condoms. These are the big issues that I worry about, uh, on that level. There's obviously a lot of local stuff and we need to pay attention to that. I need to do a better job myself of paying attention to what's happening locally. Um, you know, this stuff can be tiring. It can be hard. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of sports over the last week and a half uh, and not paying as much attention to politics. Um, and it makes sense because right now, like, you know, we all need a break, but uh, we also need to get back in the game and realize that, you know, democracy is fragile and uh you know let's get involved so i hope you like the interview with emily sirota uh representative emily sirota from colorado uh really bright smart person um she opened my eyes up to um the potential of of, of realizing that like everybody's vote can count and um probably made me a little less cynical about the process so i hope you uh i hope you guys enjoy the interview Be true to your preschool. That doesn't even rhyme. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest 
She is the Colorado State Representative from House District 9 and the co-sponsor of a bill with pretty big national ramifications in her home state of Colorado uh, to reallocate electoral college votes to the winner of the overall popular vote. Uh, Representative Emily Sirota, thanks for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, first off, I have to say, it is International Women's Day, so happy International Women's Day to you. Um, Thank you. I, uh, I'm proud to be part of a, a caucus here in Colorado that is the largest caucus of women and the most diverse caucus we have ever had. Well, I, I want to I talk to you uh, about a couple things, but one of them is uh, you've been in the news recently and, and your state's been in the news recently about uh, this new bill that would you're the you're the co-sponsor on it, one of the co-sponsors on it, uh, to basically make the popular vote uh, a thing, right? I mean, you basically, your electoral college votes in the state of Colorado would actually go to the overall winner of the popular vote in a national election. Is that right? Am I getting that right? So the way that, let me just give you the, the way that the national popular vote bill works. It is an interstate compact that... Uh, states join, and once it passes a legislature and gets signed by a governor, a state joins this compact, which only goes into effect when enough states totaling a majority of electoral votes required to win the presidency, which is 270 electoral votes. So when enough states joining the compact total 270 electoral votes, that is when the compact would go into effect. So uh, until that happens, we continue to operate under the current system. Once that happens, um, all of the states that have joined the compact would award their electors, their electoral votes, to the presidential candidate that wins the popular vote in all 50 states in the District of Columbia. So you're saying I pretty much nailed it from the get-go there, huh? Well, I just want to, I want folks to be sure that they understand that the compact doesn't go into effect until we reach that 270 vote threshold. So 270 votes. So does that, uh, I, I feel like I just, I hear 270 votes and all of a sudden I start to get like flashbacks of, of CNN John King's magic map. Like, do you guys have a magic map <laughs> in the Colorado house? Um, well, not in the, in the house. It's, um, Currently, there are 11 states in the District of Columbia that have joined the compact. As soon as our governor signs uh, the bill, we will um, Colorado will join the compact, uh, totaling 12 states in the District of Columbia. So currently, um, we have 172 electoral votes um, within the compact. Colorado would add our nine electoral votes to that, totaling uh, 181, and um, and then we would still need. Um, more votes to, to reach that 270 threshold, but um, so we don't expect this compact to go into effect before 2020. It is possible before 2024. Um, in 2019, I believe there are seven states um, that are considering this legislation, so we're also looking at possibly seeing Nevada join, possibly New Mexico, maybe Maine. I, I think that uh, the one state that's really going to you're going to get almost to the finish line in the one state that's going to screw you up, Florida. They always do. I mean, it, I, I'm from there, so I know this. You know, We're, I, I remember, I remember uh, 2000 very well. I feel like that's what's going to happen. 
Um, no, but that, that is that is really exciting. It sounds like you guys have a ton of momentum when it comes to this. And so you're, you're thinking 2024, possibly uh, that, that could be when this, this can happen on, on a national level? It, it is possible. I believe that there is momentum in the country. I mean, the, the question polls really well um, across the country uh, in terms of what voters think about how we should elect our president. And uh, the idea that every vote should count equally really resonates with Americans and with Coloradans and um, that we should have a system by which the person who gets the most votes wins. And, you know, that's how we elect our governors. That's how we elect our senators and our Congress people. That's how I was elected. Um, the person who gets the most votes should win. And, not and to- we think that... It, that's how it should work with the president. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems <laughs> it's when you put it like that, it seems pretty logical, right? Like every vote should count. Um, but it, but I mean, in, in, that actually hasn't happened though in the last, uh, at least for um, in the last election, uh, was it Hillary Clinton had how many more votes than, um, than Trump? Like, was it, was it uh, three million? Three million. Yeah. So, I mean, in then Al Gore, of course, in 2000, um, do, you know, are there people out there who say, well, because, I mean, you're a Democrat and this is kind of a partisan issue? I I believe in the national popular vote movement because, again, I believe that every vote should count equally. And right now, the um, all of the attention and interest in a presidential general election goes to a small handful of swing states. And it doesn't it doesn't matter for, for the rest of us if, um, you know, if your state is not within that, you know, three to five percent margin there, you uh, are considered a foregone conclusion. You will get no attention. You get um, those swing states get all of the presidential visits and attention in um, and in particularly that first term of office for a president. Um, they will focus on those swing states. They will focus on where they need to go for re-election. So they end up getting more in um, in pork. They get more in disaster relief funding. They get more waivers. Uh, they, the, the system is, is rigged to, um, to favor those folks. And I don't think that that is what the founders intended when they, uh, when they wrote our Constitution. And... And the national, so the, the National Popular Vote Compact, Interstate Compact Bill has been around since 2006, and it has been a bipartisan effort uh, because, you know, there are Republicans in California, there are Republicans in New York uh, who say, my vote is not counted right now, and I want to have a say. Our state gets no attention, and I want my vote to count, and under the National Popular Vote Bill, every vote would count equally, and a president, uh, a presidential candidate who wanted to become president would really have to campaign across the country, because uh, every vote, no matter where you live, would, would count equally. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. I, I, I mean, I can tell you, I live in California. I have to disagree with you. There are no Republicans out here, Emily. We are... <laughs> There are no. There actually are. <laughs> they hide. They hide. I don't know where they are. Um, no, you're right though. It's like we don't out here. It's like we know what's going to happen. Like generally, by the time that it's at least like the primary comes around to us, we don't really even make a difference. I mean, it's more of like you know, like what we 
legislation are we going to vote on this year? You know, that's really like what our excitement right. comes down to, which by the way, we appreciate you guys taking the lead on that. I just want to say that. But um <laughs> Well, I think I think that your um you know, your sentiment is very common. And in fact, what we see is that there is a very drastic difference in terms of the voter turnout and participation among swing states versus non-swing states. You see um, voter participation up in the 60s um, in swing states and um, lower in the 40s in, in many non-swing states. And, and you've seen some bipartisan support uh, for the bill that you've co-sponsored in Colorado, is that right? Well, there is there has been bipartisan support nationally. There are... Um, a number of Republicans who um, who sit on the board of, of the National Popular Vote uh, Movement. There are um, it, it, the bills have passed other states with bipartisan support. Um, even President Trump has said several times that he believes that he would have won if we had, you know, if it had been a National Popular Vote, he would have campaigned differently and he would have won. And I think that that is really. That's what we want to see. We want to see candidates campaigning differently so that every vote counts. And um, I think since uh, the 2016 election, um, perhaps we are we are seeing a more partisan atmosphere. But you know, the the opposite could could happen in 2020 or in elections down the road. In terms of what happened in 2016, you could see. Uh, the, the flip happened. You know, there could be a Democrat who won the Electoral College and lost the popular vote and became president. And then I think you might see a lot more Republican support for this bill. And and what what many of us believe is that the current system under which we've had five presidents elected um, by winning the Electoral College but losing the popular vote um, in our history, and we've also had... Uh, I believe it's five uh, near misses since World War II, where that has almost happened, where just uh, a few thousand votes in a particular swing state could have swung the election the other way to, to cause this to happen again. And each time it happens, we have Americans who feel as though their voice and their vote is lost, that um, you know there is more and more disillusionment disillusionment with the system and that the the national popular vote could go a long way to help remedy that to ensure that every person uh, felt as though their vote mattered that would encourage participation and a better process and then hopefully a, a better more fair outcome yeah yeah it, it, you sound you sound right on and, and i will say though i mean to think that republicans would care about getting people to come out to vote <laughs> it's hard for me maybe i'm being cynical but uh be true to your preschool that doesn't even rhyme uh how did we get into like an electoral college system in the first place i mean not to go down a whole history lesson but like it does seem weird like it what you're saying sounds very logical and makes a lot of sense but like how how did we get an electoral college system in the first place? The way um, that it was written in the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, uh, gives states 
the plenary power, which is the complete and absolute power, through the legislature to determine the manner in which they will um, award their electors to the Electoral College. Uh, And so the states have, over the course of history, uh, come up with a variety of different ways to to do that. So um, in some presidential elections early on, governors appointed electors. In some, um, the legislature appointed electors. Even um, in some states, some electors appointed other electors. So there were many ways in which electors were appointed to this electoral college. Um, And along the way, political parties developed. And once one state determined that they could alter the election in in their the party in their state that was in the majority power in their favor mm-hmm. they took on this winner take all system within the state right and then it created this cascading effect of uh, the domino effect of other states adopting this winner take all method of awarding their state's electors so now we have currently 48 states um, that award their electors through a state winner-take-all law. Right. Two states um, actually award their electors um, by congressional district. And then they have the two senators that, that take the uh, sort of majority state vote. But so there, there is plenty of precedence for states changing the way in which they assign those electors. Um, and that, that privilege is afforded to them in the Constitution. And um, the the founders also wanted to ensure by putting elections um, in the state's hands that they could avoid a powerful president manipulating a weaker Congress um, <laughs> into perpetuating that president into office like a king, like a monarchy. Who would you and, be referring uh, to? <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so they put that power to the states and, and distributed that way. They felt that they would be um, that we would be more insulated as a country from um, foreign powers manipulating our elections uh, by doing it that way. Funnily enough, there ha- there was an article after the 2016 election about how um, our current system actually makes it much easier for a foreign power as we saw, to potentially manipulate, um, you know, a much smaller segment of, um, of voters by just targeting specific swing states and districts within those swing states. You know, you have the power to really move and manipulate an election, um, much more so than you do an entire country's popular vote. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's what the founders wanted. Eventually, <laughs> they were like, you know what? <laughs> Facebook's going to come along, and then the Russians will infiltrate our, our electoral system and hack our elections. And that's how right. we want it to go. It was very, <laughs> there was, you know, a lot of forethought into that. <laughs> that's crazy, though. You're right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing how uh, that system has kind of played itself out, and we're, we are where we are today. And it's it's just like a ripe breeding ground for our elections to to get hacked and for foreign uh, interference. It's crazy. It is. Um, did did by the way, I did research before this because uh, 
that's what I'm known for here, um, is uh, Maine and Nebraska are those two states, right? Isn't that that's right? right. That's, see, yep. And that's, I remember that because I feel like that's the only thing that Maine and Nebraska have in common. Be true to your preschool. That doesn't even rhyme. I, again, I really want to thank you for, for being on the podcast. Where can people go if they want to be part of this movement for the popular vote? Where can they go in order to uh, either you know contribute or just help out or spread awareness about it? Um, because I feel like that is at the heart of, of this becoming, like you said, it overwhelmingly or, or a majority of Americans are in favor of this. But where can they go to support this? So if you go to nationalpopularvote.com, you can, uh, there are all sorts of great resources on the website. You can get more information about it. And then you can also get connected with folks in your own state um, and people who are working in, uh, with the grassroots on national popular okay. vote in your own state. So that's a great starting place. Um, you can find some really great videos on YouTube um, with John Coza, one of the, you know, the the creators, the founders of the National Popular Vote in the State Compact, and he has a lot of great videos on YouTube that really explain lots of questions and um, and things that come up about National Popular Vote, and then you can become an expert and you can talk to it about your um, talk to your friends and neighbors about it and uh, and join the movement. That's I I love that because people you know when, when if you're listening to this and you're out there and you're like uh, you're thinking about watching a cat video on YouTube. You can also just click over and learn about the national popular right. vote. It's that easy. That's it's, right. And then you can become an expert on that and cat videos. Instead of the cat video. It, both. I think they, they pair both. well together. Or They're, both. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so re- real quick, uh, I want to ask you, you've gone out and endorsed Bernie Sanders uh, as, as uh, president of the United States. Um, he's, he announced he's running a couple weeks back. Um, why did you, why did you, you know, why weren't you holding back to see if Michael Avenatti got in the race? Um, well, I have, I've known Senator Sanders for many, many years, and he has been addressing issues of social and economic justice all his working life, issues of wealth inequality, healthcare for all, climate change, the list goes on. And I know where Bernie stands, I know he will who he will fight for and who he, he will fight against. His campaigns have been funded by small dollar donations from individuals, not by millionaires and billionaires. And I believe ultimately he is the person to to defeat Donald Trump in 2020. Um, he has been the most effective politician uh, in moving the needle on the debate in the country over the last two years on issues of minimum wage on health care and uh, really setting the standard for what it means to run in a Democratic primary this year. And so I am very proud uh, and, and confident in my endorsement. Um, and, and what do you think about uh, Governor, former Governor John Hickenlooper, who uh, announced that he's running just this past week uh, in your home state of Colorado. He was governor there. Like, what do you, what do you think about uh, his run? I know you're not obviously endorsing him, but uh, can you can you just speak to him as a governor? I think we need a president who has a proven track record addressing the crises we face, and that's why I support Senator Sanders' candidacy because mm-hmm. he's been talking about climate change, and given the existential cr- uh, crisis that we face 
in climate change and a track record of Governor Hickenlooper in his eight years as governor in Colorado, I suppose I question his commitment to taking the action necessary to move the United States with the swift and comprehensive response necessary to address that crisis. I hear you. Okay. Well, he, I, I saw that you posted a clip of uh, Bernie from like 1989, I want to say, uh, yes. on C-SPAN. And mm-hmm. I, I watched it, and I, I just started kind of laughing because I was like, it, it's like, the, like the man has has truly never changed. Like his hair was just as white then as it is now, first of all. But it was like he was, like you said, he has remained consistent for for thirty years at least on the issues. Um, Absolutely. So, thank you again so much, Representative Emily Sirota, for being my guest here. Uh, on the Justin News podcast. And again, people can go to nationalpopularvote.com if they want to support uh, the cause. And um, yeah, thanks thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. I really appreciate it. And, um, and I hope to talk again. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Emily. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. Be true to your preschool. That doesn't even rhyme.